welcome to James Bond and Friends. James Bond is on assignment this week, so I'm your film host, James Page, from MI6HQ.com, MI6 Confidential Magazine, and 2023 subscriptions are now open. Our first issue of the year, number 68, Unseen Bond, is shipping worldwide. And while we're on the topic of Unseen Bond, uh, we're going to take on another unmade script, which has been a very popular topic on this podcast. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined again by David Lee and Bill Koenig. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys? Uh, this is David Lee here. I run the JamesBondDossier.com, and I am the author of the complete guide to the drinks of James Bond, which is JamesBondDrinks.com. And I'm Bill Koenig. I'm the webmaster of the Spy Command blog. Great. So on our previous episode, we talked about Bond 17 and um, the 1990 um, script by Al Ruggiero, I'm told it's pronounced. And Michael G. Wilson. Um, and how should we summarize that? Finding robots in Vancouver um, and Hong that Kong was pretty bizarre. <laughs> yes, it's uh, how I'd summarize it. Yeah, Ro- robots slash sex toys. Um. <laughs> um, it was to Henry Lee Ching who wanted to take over Hong Kong. And he was a weapons trader, right? Is this a fair summary? Yep. Yeah. And um, they were dabbling in science fiction with the uh, robots, security robots. Um, and one of the henchwomen of the villain turned out to be an android. This was supposed to be Timothy Dalton's third film. And they were drafting in 1990. A- android and sex bot. Yes. Yeah. Uh, who we lovingly dubbed Nanobot. Right? Um, <laughs> last one so obviously 1990 the movie uh didn't get greenlit and legal action um started between dan jack and mgm's owners over tv rights and various other things so the film series was basically on hiatus so in the meantime um michael Jewelson wilson was busy writing and getting teams of writers to put scripts together so the one that we covered last episode is kind of the well-known <clears throat> bond 17 But we have an interesting script to talk about today, which is confusingly titled Bond 18. Yeah, they use use Roman numerals, so I'm wondering if uh, they just got that wrong. Yeah, because this was a direct continuation work from Wilson and Ruggiero's script we talked about last episode. And it's the next one on the slate, because this is dated the 2nd of January, 1991. So it followed a few months later. And there are core elements in this which are taken from the previous Bond 17 script. So I, I believe that the Bond 18 thing is a misnomer. Yeah, no, I, I, I see that it is as well because it, it, it's, clearly, it's, it's clearly an evolution of that script. They've discarded uh, some of it and they, you know, well, I guess we'll, we'll talk about it as we go through it rather than uh, me bringing it up now. Yeah, so um, producers brought two new writers on to take over the script. William Osborne, who was an English barrister, turned into be a screenwriter. Uh, he lived in the, he lived in Hollywood through the eighties to two thousand one, so he was there uh, during this period. Um, he's now a children's author. Um, he has listed Goldeneye on his filmography, and obviously, this Bond seventeen would ultimately become Goldeneye. Um, few a few more years later um and interestingly the other writers william davis um whose credits 
include Johnny English, Flushed Away, How to Train Your Dragon, more Johnny English, Pushing Boots, more Johnny English, um, and another couple of uh, Rowan Atkinson movies, who he co-wrote with Purvis and Wade. Ta-da! So um, William Davis, um, early in the 90s, working on Bond, later Bond spoofs with Bond writers. So clearly their personal connection was probably Wilson there. So if you can't tell already, there's a lot of comedies in uh, William Davis's uh, filmography, and I think we might see some of that in this script. Uh, yeah, a bit too much for my liking. <laughs> <laughs> the big problem we had, other than the sex robots with the previous script, was the pre-title sequence. Um, and I think we all agreed that the hang gliding tournament yeah. didn't work. No, so they, no. Yeah, but, they fixed, they fixed yeah, James, but before we actually talk about that, uh, yeah. there's something interesting about this script um, that's even before that, in that we've got, we have a bit which is before the, the gun barrel. Oh, uh, yes, that's right. So it's a pre, pre-titled sequence. Yeah. And Bond is, well... Bond's just too old. Is, is that? I don't know if that's something to do with the the break in filming uh, because of legal well, action. Or... Well, I mean, uh, they were scripting this in late 1990. So, uh, I... if I could jump in, um, that part about suddenly Bond being too old leapt out at me as I was right. reading this because because this the, the parallels to uh, Skyfall were were remarkable. Yes, um, because. Okay, this would have been Dalton's third movie. Skyfall was Craig's third movie, mm-hmm. third Bond movie. Um, Dalton would have turned, I think, 45 in 1991. And uh, Craig turned 44, I think, in 2012. And in both cases, they've supposedly lost a step. And um, and in addition to that, I'll, I'll, I'll avoid the details, but... Skyfall didn't remind me of this, but this script reminded me of how in America there were two TV <laughs> movies, one in 1979 and the other in 1983. Both were like revivals of 1960s spy shows. And in both cases, you know, yeah, they brought back the original cast and it's like, oh, you're too old. And there's like a lot of jokes at, at expense. And in this script... Bond is getting hazed by a fellow agent, and right. it's like Bond, you overslept. And he said, "No, I didn't. It's uh, it's it's not five fifteen yet." And he looks at his watch, and it's five sixty. So yes, he did oversleep, and you know stuff I don't, like I don't this. Think he was too much sleeping there. Yeah, right. right yeah, <laughs> true, true. But yeah, he 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 was late. I'll put it that way. So it's like, so so okay. Here we have a joke at Bond's expense, and. It was just. I, 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 it was the direct Skyfall. Well, Skyfall directly lifted from this, I think, because it, it is literally Bond looking at himself, shirtless in the mirror, telling himself maybe he's getting too old for this shit. Right? Yeah, and but it, yeah, yeah. But uh, do, do you know that? That's one thing that kind of crossed my mind. I don't remember what year the uh, Lethal Weapon movies. 1987. So this was like. And I'm just wondering if if because yeah. it was the I, I'm too old for this shit. From by uh, I can't remember what the character's name. Danny Glover. Riggs. 
No, that was uh, that was. Um, oh, it was Danny Glover kept saying that yeah. was his that was his tagline. Yeah. I'm too yeah. old for this shit. Yeah, Ru- um, Riggs was the uh, was a uh, oh god, I can't even. Dog. Right, anyway, <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> Murtog. Yeah. Murtog was his character. Yeah, yeah. So I, I I wonder if I wonder if that comes from there. Oh, I don't doubt it. Yeah. I mean, that was a very popular thing, right? To have aging yeah. Yeah. heroes. But yeah, you're right. It was there's a pre pre title pre gun barrel motif, I think, right? Yeah. Of yeah. So they're so, so they're tempted to play around with the gun barrel, like you know. Yeah. So which which is way ahead of uh, of Casino Royale. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's that's the first thing that struck me. But uh, yeah, then we then we went to the uh, to the the not hang gliding bit. Yeah, I did. I did like the the line. Um, you know, when I was a younger agent like you, I would be up all hours in the morning having sex with a beautiful croupier or something. And of course, that's what he'd been doing. Right? <laughs> so it's a little right. wink, wink to the camera that maybe yeah. I've still got it. Maybe I've still got it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So the, and the previous uh, script, the pre talk sequence was a hang gliding competition for Bond to infiltrate a chemical weapons lab or a weapons lab. Sorry, not chemical weapons lab. Um, and they fixed it, I think. Oh yeah, this this is way better. I agree. It's it's it, they, they toned down all the dumb elements of it, and uh, um, it and uh, you know it's it's speedboats rather than a hang gliding race, and um, but although it has got the the para parachute bit as well, which kind of reminded me of these. It was kind of deja vu of Bond seventeen and Warhead all in one. Right. Yes. Yeah. So Bond, uh, the young agent drives, you know, um, s- complains about Bond being late. We talked about that. Um, Bond parasails off the back of the speedboat race. Parasails, that's the word I was looking to, for. Yeah. To climb up over the cliffs because the, the boat race just happens to be going past Libya. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so Bond lands on the roof of the uh, weapons plant in Libya. There's a few racist lines in this script. Yes, there are, um, yeah. There's some absolute bangers later. Um, but this is the first one. And, and so Bond gets captured by the guards, and Bond calls them the Falafel Gestapo. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which I don't think would have made it onto the screen. Uh, no. Yeah. But then, you of know- course, there's the references to Goldfinger again. The belt explosives come out. He sets the timers to three minutes, which you know, yeah. God and I will rip on, riff, riff on uh, later. Um, so there's a lot of things that they took from the, the earlier draft, and there's a lot of things that they bring in now, which we late recognize in later films again. Mm-hmm. Well, and and one other thing that struck me in this script is uh, Bond's dialogue. Mm. Um, at one point, Bond says, "Yeah, right," and it's like when I think of Bond. I don't think of him saying yeah. I think mm-hmm. of him saying yes. There's another page fairly deep in the script where he says Ghana, G-O-N-N-A. Right. And to me, when I think of James Bond, he says going to. He like right. Bond speaks more precisely. And I don't know, maybe that's also some of the lethal weapon influence. Right. Where, you know, the, this rougher mode of speaking. There's also a lot of cultural references, pop culture references in this script. 
Um, yes. some, of them, some of them in the stage directions where they compare a scene to other movies. But it, it, in this where we've got the security robot back. Yeah. Um, but Bond actually calls him R2-D2. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. Um, talks about uh, Luke and Leia as well. So right. L- Luke went that way. Yeah. So <laughs> they, they've, they've gone, um, they fully embraced uh, the, the uh, fact that they ripped it off Star Wars here. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously there's Call Me Buona and there's some other bits and pieces in the franchise history, but never a, a, such an overt set of references to that I can think of. Well, well, the most overt one that I can recall is Moonraker, where the code to get in are the notes. True. To, I mean, but that's music, though. That's not dialogue. Right. And, and you know what, and that's something that they might have actually thought of in post-production rather than in scripting or on the, yeah. on the set, but this is like really overt. And the thing is, okay, at this point, the last star Wars movie had been 1983. So there hadn't even been a star Wars film for a while. And they're going to that. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> with the cultural references, um, bond escapes by jumping off the cliff, a swan diving into the water, Allah jinx, dying with yeah. Cuba. Very similar because she even climbs back into the back of the boat. Same thing, right? Um, and so that's our pre-title sequence. Um, there isn't really a MacGuffin that's linked to the rest of the film, except that he spots, just like Moonraker, right? Um, he, he spots the name of the shipping company on the crates. Yeah. But other, other than that, it's a pretty tightly self-contained pre-title sequence. The Colonel, the Falafel Gestapo Colonel, does come back later but in terms of like pre-tart sequences it's, it's pretty uh buttoned up isn't it yeah 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 uh, yeah I, I i liked it i i thought it was a huge improvement over over the bond 17 script and uh, uh out of the um yeah out of all these unmade ones it, it's it's the best one so far so then we cut to after the title song uh we cut to seattle and uh, USS Kennedy aircraft carrier. This I had to read this twice. This this section because it wasn't. I was I was wondering why is the DEA, which at, the, the, imagine this film follows License to Kill. We've got the DEA undercover operation back to back movies opening the action right. Um, so for some reason the DEA is is tailing a USS aircraft carrier. And there's a Navy pilot who's got access to an experimental British stealth jet called the Scimitar, which is on loan to the Americans. And I find this bit hilarious that the British have got a plane that's like 20 years ahead of the US and they have to loan it to the US. But the DEA thinks they're trying to bust a drug smuggling operation on the ship. And so the Navy pilot ends up stealing the jet and um, flying it to Vancouver. MacGuffin on the jet is that it's got a stealth mode. And obviously that kind of evolves right into the EMP uh, hardened helicopter in GoldenEye, where they they steal the helicopter. Yeah. There's one thing about the the experimental plane is that in the novel Gold, uh, sorry, the novel Thunderball, uh, rather than it being a Vulcan that was stolen, it was an experimental plane that 
that had the atomic bombs on it. So I'm, right. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if they got that from from Thunderball. Oh yeah, quite possibly. Um, so the jet lands in Vancouver. There's some Italian mafia family called the Vanellis, which are all through this story, right to the very end, almost. Um, and the, the 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 Navy pilot thought he was stealing it to smuggle drugs, mm-hmm. uh, but it wasn't. It was just to get the plane. Um, and then when the DEA finally rock up, uh, they find the pile of drugs and the Navy pilot shot dead, and the the mob have taken the plane and left all the drugs behind. I I didn't see the need for any of the drug stuff in the DEA. Uh, <laughs> no. you guys. No, really, that 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 was to distract the audience, wasn't it? There's, right. there's no there's no other reason for it. Yeah, but you know, when we get to Goldeneye, when they eventually make this film, it's just a straight up let's go steal a helicopter. Yeah. What did you think of the setup, Bill? Uh, it was interesting. It um, also with the, the mafia people, I, it, it occurred to me like. Were they dipping back into the Diamonds Are Forever novel? Yeah. Like maybe these are like sort of uh, uh, substitutes for the Spang brothers, perhaps. Um, Well, they are brothers, aren't they, in this? Yeah. Tiny and Tony. Yeah. But they gave them a different name instead of using Spang, which like, uh, if if that was the intent, why not just call them the Spang brothers? Right. (laughs) but maybe they didn't think that sounded mafia enough. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, oh, I, I just thought of one, there was one other obvious cultural reference before this, which of course was Octopussy and the Tarzan yell. But in that script, it doesn't say Bond yells like Tarzan. I kind of describe, you know, the stage directions describe him swinging they might mention Tarzan, but yet they don't explicitly say he he yells like Tarzan. And again, I think that was something that was, if I remember right, I think it did come up in post production. You know, because by this, that was the first film made under MGM ownership. MGM still owned its film library. They had the sound effect right. available, so they you know just dropped it in there, and it was the you know, the original Johnny Weissmuller. Uh, yell but again it's like they still do it a lot more often in this script um with the cultural references yeah um so from seattle we cut to london uh to universal exports bond has a discovery about money penny yes she is engaged and he actually uh he actually asks her out yeah. Uh, to, to, what was it? Double O fives, uh, place out in the country. And well, you're too late, James. Uh, you know, I, if you had asked me sooner, I'd have d- done it, but now I'm, you know, she's engaged to an engineer and we're going to have lots of children. And like, and again, that sort of fits into the whole bond is older bond is running into, uh, Reminders of his mortality, I guess. Um, He's a structural engineer from Harrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't yeah. beat that. And, and we also meet uh, Mr. Yupland, who we had met in the previous script. Yes. 
and uh, and and Yeplin gives Bond the business, and it's like, okay, you would think Bond would be like a living legend at MI6, but no, <laughs> Yeplin complains about Bond's like the biggest uh, budget item in MI6s. <laughs> right, his expense reports are the biggest budget line item. Yeah, yeah. So Yeplin uh, is yeah is 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 a direct carryover, right? Yeah, I don't see much change. He's exactly the same character as before. Yeah, and who ultimately would become C Inspector? Yep. Yeah, right, Max, right. Uh, Max Denby, um, pretty much word for word at some points. Um, and Yoplin's not kind to Money Penny either. I mean, she he he says that she's going to get fired and uh, or fire that woman. <laughs> yes, um, M suggests that's a bad idea, but. Yuplin yeah. doesn't really care what M seems to think. No. And Yuplin's closing down Q Branch, just like Inspector. Yes. Yeah. So uh, Yuplin's the kind of Elon Musk of his day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, just, I, I just called up the script just to be sure. Yeah. So, so Bond is talking to Q, and Q is informing Bond that you know, the department's been shut down. I'm afraid so. The new junior minister says this whole department's surplus to requirements. Yeah. So, so Q's to retire early. Yeah, but uh, also that they, they, they um, he, Q's been told to scrap the DB5, and uh, right. the thing is, he, he tells Bond that it's, that it's the original DB5, even though I'm pretty sure that it was probably. Uh, not salvaged after Goldfinger, but uh, um, but I, I don't know. They, they've got a good repair shop in Q because uh, they showed that in uh, after Skyfall because uh, they re- they put right. together yeah that that's a DB five but from the um, steering wheel yeah yeah exactly right. but it's it's like um, why would they scrap it when you know surely you'd sell it off right yeah and also we have another another one of Bond's line where what I was talking about earlier, where he's talking in a more imprecise manner. Q, this is crazy. You've got to G-O-T-T-A fight this. Right. Again, in my mind, Bond speaks a little crisper, more precise than that. Yeah. We see that in the comic book Bond as well a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One of my favorite moment, visual moments when I was imagining this uh, is when because the budget cuts, Bond goes to get his pool car from MI6, and it's a Honda CRX. <laughs> and Bond just dumps the keys in the drain. <laughs> uh, which I guess is the cut out the middleman kind of shtick, right? Right. Yeah. So, anyway, so then we go to Vancouver. Bond arrives um, on the hunt for the stolen scimitar jet. Um, Rocks up at the Hertz rental car counter, clocks the. I can't remember Bill what car it is. The, um, I, I I have it up a Ferrari. Ferrari. No, 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 no. Oh, what car he should have got on his oh. expense policy. Right. Um, family saloon or something. Yeah. What is it? A very, a very small sp- Hyundai. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Waiting for its driver. John <laughs> smiles. There's been a mistake. Just send the bill to London. Name of Yupland. Yeah, so this, again, this scene fits in with this, I'm tempted to call it an even tone. It's, uh, that's 
probably not the right term, but they're trying to introduce a new tone, uh, not really seen in previous Bond films right. of, you know, again, not just him confronting, you know, his mortality, but like, you know, dealing more with bureaucrats. In some ways, it's actually kind of like never say never again. Yes. Because, because uh, you know, the cue in that movie is like complaining about budgets and he, you know, the, the department hasn't been shut down, but he's complaining, you know, he, but he grouses about how the Americans get all the money and have all the... <laughs> All the cool gadgets, which is completely incongruous with the British Navy having a stealth jet that the Americans can't figure out how to make, right? Or fund, right? Yeah. So it's a little, it's a little incongruous to me. Yeah, it's more like they're kind of well, it's it's like they're going for the like the one liners and like you know. Oh yeah, it's all there <laughs> the for comedic. It's all there yeah. for comedic effect. Yeah. Yeah. So Bond takes his Ferrari. We then cut to. Vanilli, the mob timber supplies um, place where they they suspected they get they've been hiding the jet. Um, So this is a replacement of the Chinese Tong gangs, which they had from the previous script. Right, they've just shifted it to be mob families now. That's right. Chinese gang, but they keep they keep all the China and Hong Kong references in here. Um, So Bond starts to notice that. Well, we we as the audience notice the Nanking Shipping Kowloon Company, which. I kind of Nanking shipping. I I wrote down in my notes. Is that a you only live twice reference? Um, What's the name of the ship in you only live twice? Uh, Oh, it was something ping. Um, But was it, but the boat may have been registered to Nanking. Maybe, you know, it was, it was Osato's ship and it was called the Lingpo. I think. Okay. My mind was playing tricks on me when I was reading this without internet access. I was just like, is this a unit or reference? But th- these kind of like visual slow pans over crates, it, it was to me the Moonraker f- where you were just tracking the logos of shipping stuff, right? And the first couple of acts of the movie to piece it all together. Yeah. That these are all connected. Um, so uh, just like the previous script, there's an infiltrator to the warehouse. Um, there's no use of any pronouns. And then, oh, surprise, it turns out to be a woman. Um, who's doing her own detective work. And this is very much like Bond and Waylon and Tomorrow Never Dies, isn't it? Yes. Where they're both investigating the same thing at the same time and aware of each other. Um, and that turns out to be Connie Webb, who is a character carried over from the previous script. As he gets into the car, he pulls off his mask. It's a gorgeous-looking woman. (laughs) 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 A woman. Um, yeah, um, the thing I, I the thing that I didn't catch the first time when I read it was um, she sticks her finger on the ground and kind of sniffs it, and that's and then she's like, "Ha!" Huh, and then walks off, and it, and she's finding the jet fuel uh. to prove to prove where the jet had been. Um, uh, no, I didn't. And, I didn't pick that up. And Bond didn't either until later um, that that's what she was doing. Um, and then we cut to a fencing scene. Yeah, and uh, I could I could see where this was going, uh, and uh, I, although it did, I, I thought I thought we'd get the the um, fencing scene from Die Another Day at this point, but uh, no, it was just to introduce the fencing. So uh, yeah, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's but so so Henry, who's the villain of the piece, we're introduced to here, um, kills 
the guy he's fencing. Um, turns out to be get me a, get me a new instructor, right? Yeah, because um, that, that's, that's straight out of die another day with um, with um, find me a new therapist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Colonel Moon and uh, and well, yeah, Colonel Moon in yeah. Die Another Day yeah. is um, is uh, was lifted several sections of this. Um, but you're right, David. It's a complete setup to like, yes, we're going to have a fencing fight later, aren't we? Yeah. Um, oh, are seen... we? Spoiler alert. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah spoilers. <laughs> um, and he's seen to be, uh, he's revealed to actually be in Hong Kong. and But he's on the phone with Connie, who's in Vancouver. Um, and Bond tracks Connie uh, the next day, I guess. Um, and she's kayaking on the river. Um and Bond does his usual thing of blowing past the people that rents the kayaks and, and whatnot. Uh, and so he goes undercover as James Baker for the rest of the act of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Th- th- this, this whole, this, this whole thing with the kayaks though. Oh God. It, uh, I, I didn't, didn't really like this very much. And, uh, and it, it's, it's Bond's attitude. I, I, I think really that, does it because yeah it, it's it's done to show that you know bond is out of his depth here and uh, you know that um connie webb is can, can do um some stuff that bond is incapable of doing and uh but it, it's uh, i i just i i can't see um timothy dalton uh playing this bond at all it, it's completely roger moore yeah Yes. So Bond struggles with his kayak, right? Because they go over some rapids and stuff. And Connie en- ends up helping him to the shore, right? Um, because he, he, he probably would have died on the next set of rapids. Um, and so he, intro- he uh, she, she turns down his advances a lot, but eventually he in- invites her out to dinner, which she agrees to do. Um, and, and, and at which point we then have a parody of the typical Bond at dinner Bond yes. ordering wine bit where, I mean, she laughs at him. And um, uh, I like fine wine. It's the wine snobbery that bores me. Well, I think there's a distinction to be made between snobbery and con- con- connorship. Excuse me. She can't help laughing. Did I say something funny? Connie pulls herself together. I'm sorry. I'll try. And she, anyway. So, so again, we're, the writers are, are, they're, they're, they're essentially making fun of Bond again. Uh, you know, Bond's, Bond's world's been turned upside down. He can't even go out to dinner with a woman without her (laughs) ridiculing him about his knowledge of wine. Can you imagine if he'd have asked for the ingredients for the salad dressing to make it himself? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. What or, I, go ahead. I was going to say, what I did like about this scene was that um, they both reveal to each other who they actually are, but they do it in a mocking way. <clears throat> so the other one thinks that that's, not their true cover. Does that make yes. sense? Because it would be so ludicrous that she's an ex-CIA agent and he's a British agent and ha ha ha. And he's actually just a boring uh, cat. Well, she's, she says she's a cat burglar, right? And he pretends to be 
insurance or something at this point, and it changes three times in the story. Uh, lady who's an art thief, right? Um, yeah. Neither of them, I think, believe the other one's true intentions at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was good that there was. Um, it was so opaque, as Brosnan would say, and nobody really, neither of them really knew that they're sure they weren't sure-footed about the other person at this point, right? But Connie takes him upstairs to her room for some quote uncomplicated sex. It, t- it turns out to be a bit complicated because you can't get a dress undone. Right. <laughs> um, and the next morning, Bond wakes up uh, with his back hurting um, <laughs> and literally says the I'm too old for this line out loud to himself, doesn't he? Yes. Um, as he realized Connie's already left and dumped him. Dear James, last night was wonderful. Have a nice life. Connie. Yeah. Yeah. And then Bond, Bond talks to himself. She dumped me. <laughs> he says aghast, um, which I don't know why he's aghast. You remember that thing in Tracy, you know, a few movies ago? It's like right. <laughs> she, she left you. She left you after a night of uh, uncomplicated sex. And uh, uh, whatever. It's It's not the first time it's happened, James, but he's like crestfallen, I guess. So Connie goes to Vegas because she's on the phone with Sir Henry, right? When she was alone, when she was alone, she was on the phone with Sir Henry about going to Vegas. And somehow Bond knows to go to Vegas. And it is not explained in the script as to how Bond learns that information. But second act kicks in and we're in Vegas. And I don't know how I feel about this (laughs) because... Diamonds of Forever wasn't the most loved uh, location work. The one of the one of the things, uh, yeah, I, 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 I immediately thought of, of uh, Diamonds Are Forever as well, and uh, no, I'm not particularly a fan of Las Vegas. So uh, yeah, uh, like you, I think so. It just smacked me as odd to go back to such yeah. an iconic. A, a, uh, location and use the same location again. Yeah. And, um, we, and so we've close. got also we, we've got the um, we've got the fight against the two enormous female bodybuilders, and uh, uh, it in some respects it, it reminds me of the fight in um, Shrublands in Never Say Never Again. Oh, um, totally. Yeah, but yeah. also it's 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 also like the fight. Um, in Diamonds Are Forever, in the in the Elrod House or whatever it is, that's right. Bambi and Thumper. Yeah, yeah, ba- yeah. Ba- Bambi and yeah, Thumper. There's a lot yeah. of Diamonds Are Forever in this. Yeah, it's... Um, the book and the movie. Right. Mm. Um, so the, the the joke is repeated again. So Bond goes to the rental car agency, and this time he steals the Lamborghini Countach <laughs> rather than I don't know what it was, a Nissan or something. Um, and the hotel that he's staying at is hosting the world, the women's bodybuilding competition, which I thought was a good setup for why they would be there mm-hmm. versus it just being two hench people appearing out of yeah, nowhere. Pumping iron uh, nine. Pumping iron nine. <laughs> um, I really liked the surprise element that Bond's contact in Vegas who is called Skinhead. And it turns out to be, well, his real name is Jennings. And he is a super camp 
uh, West Coast liaison who hits on Bond. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, I think this character's a bit too over the top. Uh, he's 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 play he's really he he's played for laughs and uh, and uh, you know it's, it's fine to have a, a gay assistant for Bond, but uh, I, I think this this is a bit. Uh, well, I think the difference between this and I like going back to Never Cinema again because I think they definitely did. There's a lot of overlap there with um, Fawcett, right, played by Rowan Atkinson, who's the he's Bond's liaison over there. Here, Jennings is um, capable, like he's a very good agent, mm-hmm. uh, but he is also paid for laughs. You're right. Yeah, but he gets a very good. But again, it's like making fun of Bond, right? This is it's almost like this is the picking on Bond script from all angles, right? Yeah. Uh... Yeah, I, I, in in the in the scenes with Jennings, I, I I don't know if Bond is the target or Jennings, it's uh, or maybe a bit of both. So we learn that the Vanellis, the uh, the mob, uh, own the Golden Sands Hotel, and uh, Tony Tony and Teen Tiny are the sons. The father is Guido. Um, Guido's the clever guy. The the two sons are a bit thick. Um, <laughs> And he doesn't approve of them getting into the arms business. Um, he wants to stick to gambling, prostitution, and drugs. Um, but his sons have been uh, steered by Sir Henry to start getting into the arms business. And Bond's back is still hurting from all that Connie Webb sex. So <laughs> he, he, he tells Jennings that he's going to go down to the hot tubs to relieve his back pain. And this is the, the bit that stretches it for me. <laughs> in this whole script is because Colonel Al Sabra, who was the falafel Gestapo from the pre-tart sequence pops up in the hot tub to get his revenge on bond from the pre-tart sequence completely out of nowhere. Right. Yeah. Like how would he know to even go there and track? Well, find him there? Well, it's just, how did bond know to go to Vegas as well? So it's, uh, it's a lot of, yeah. a lot of, um, uh, it's like all roads lead to Vegas at the moment. So Bond somehow gets uh, his the colonel's wallet, um, and this is where we have the bodybuilder fight, right? Um, also, also uh, here, here we go again with politically incorrect uh, dialogue. Uh, Bond, oh Jesus, Al, Al Sarabra. His his name is Allah, Mister Bond. Okay, all right, good. That's another one liner. We've got to. Right. Check off the box. (laughs) I ache too much to argue. Just pull the trigger. My pleasure. So Bond fights two women. And not in a very gentlemanly way either, right? I mean, he's trying to punch him in the face and kick him and everything. Um, Not like Diamonds of Forever. And he empties 10 rounds of the colonel's gun into one of the women who just keeps coming at him anyway. Um, so it's a pretty brutal fight. Um, and Bond ends up killing the colonel with his own gun and stealing yeah, his wallet. Yeah, but uh, the, um, I think that that's, that, that's, a, that's okay. That, the, the fight with the, the colonel is okay, if, if I'm remembering it correctly. Is that when yeah. he gets him to throw his gun into the hot tub and then right. um, he, grab, he, he grabs it and shoots him in the hot tub or something? 
Well, he, they, they're drowning him in the hot tub, so he uses, he picks up the oh, gun yeah. from under, under yes. the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought that, that that was pretty good. I, I enjoyed that. Jennings is intercepting a call to Hong Kong, right um, from the from the uh, penthouse of the mob, and they reveal that they're going to sell the plane to Henry for for fifty million. Um, so Bond has to race over to the hotel and find out <clears throat> and find out where they're going to go to. <clears throat> for the deal so he hides in the trunk of the limo and i have a question for your expertise on this um, bill <clears throat> uh, on cars because he gets trapped in the trunk of the car because um, they go over a bump and the latch closes now when did they install the release handles inside trunks oh because it's a thing in the States that you yeah. can always pull the lever to get out of the trunk because of kidnappings. <laughs> right. Um, Boy, Bond, has is... to, like, Bond has to like mackle a tool to prise the thing open, right? Rather than just pulling the handle. You know, I don't know the exact date, but you know, this is like the early nineties. I would think it would be, it might've been a thing then. Yeah. It's kind of the thing that a British screenwriter wouldn't necessarily think of. No, uh, I, 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 I didn't. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's like a, it's a yellow pull tab that's right. in the back of every trunk in the US. Yeah. So if you get bundled into the back of the car like Mary Goodnight, you can just pull the yeah. pull the hatch. Yeah. So anyway, um, he hides in the limo. They get to the warehouse. Bond slips out. Uh, he spots the Kowloon shipping crates again to tie the the breadcrumbs together. Um, <laughs> And what is it with Stinger missiles uh, in the late eighties and early nineties? Because we've got Stinger <laughs> missiles again. Yeah, um, boxes they, of Stinger missiles everywhere. They got it from the estate sale of friends, uh, Sanchez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they turn up again in gold now, don't they? Off screen. Yeah. Um, so Bond gets caught sniffing around the warehouse, um, and because he stole the colonel's wallet, the goons look at his wallet. And uh, they think he works for the Libyans. And this is where one of the racial epithets come in because they call him a towel head. Yes. And I, I guess the colonel didn't have photo ID. Um, yeah, no, clearly not because, uh, well, unless he was a, a spitting image of Bond. Right. So they think he's a Lib- he says he's a, a spy working for the Libyans. But if you were a spy working for the Libyans, why would you carry around ID? <laughs> <laughs> um, but oh, uh, and, and here's a line from Tiny: "F the people, we're Americans, Mister, and we don't sell to any towel heads." Right. <laughs> See, even the mob have rules, right? That's but, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, towel heads is something that I don't think I don't think you'd see uh, these days. But in the early '90s, with the first Gulf War, I, I I think it was fairly common for people to to use it. Yeah, I think it was fairly common too. I just can't see the studio. No, uh, no, no. Yeah, no, but it's uh, there are a few instances in this script, and it, it's quite jarring. Yeah, the tone. If this was licensed to kill, I get it, but. The tone of this flips between comedic and dry humor mm-hmm. to pretty strong racial stuff and violence. And mm-hmm. it's it's kind of all up and down a little bit, mismatch. 
Um, but the, I, I did like the plot point that the mob were not willing to do business with their country's enemy, right? Effectively, right? their government. Right. So they're going to leave Bond, who they think is a Libyan, to the U.S. government to deal with, right? Rather than take him out and kill him themselves. Um, so Bond wakes up trapped in a tank. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> and if you substitute tank with helicopter, yeah, you can see where Goldeneye got there. Seen. Yeah. But that right. They're, they're, oh, oh God, I, I have a big problem about his escape from this though because basically uh let's see as far as i can remember remember well, we should it, explain he's on a shooting range right he's, uh, on, he's, US on a, he's on a shooting range and he's been put there so that he get uh, the tank gets hit and he gets blown up by the the u.s army and uh so he's sitting there and he, he can't get out it's uh, he can't open the hatches and um he he, he finds some ammunition inside the tank, I think in the barrel of the gun, takes it out, and he, as far as I remember, he puts it in a helmet, and he, fasten- he gets the black He gets the black powder out of it, right? Yeah. He, 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 then he, 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 fit, he puts that in, in a helmet, which he then attaches under the hatch. Then, yeah. he, then he, I can't remember how he lights the, the powder, and it blows the hatch off. So... So we're supposed to think that the pressure wave would have blown the hatch off without um, killing him. It's, <laughs> right. It doesn't doesn't work like that. No, and um, yeah, I think the hatch was the immovable object, and the helmet would have been the thing that got eviscerated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, there would have been bits of Bond all around the Sherman. <laughs> <laughs> well, even if he'd have been able to climb out, he wouldn't have had eardrums. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> So he gets picked up by Jenning. He some well, he gets out of the tank, but he also gets out of the shooting range, right? And um, Jennings comes to save the day in a helicopter. And um, how Jennings knew Bond was there, you know, we don't know. Um, and then they go searching for an airfield. And this reminded me a lot of Thunderball, when you know Bond and Felix are just flying around looking for where this stuff could possibly be hiding. Mm-hmm. And it's like one last grotto to check, right? Yeah. And um, and it, it, there's a bit of that, and and they don't find anything within 20 minutes yeah. of Vegas. Yeah, I, but I I made exactly that same note. I said chopper searching for for <laughs> airfield, Thunderball looking for plane. <laughs> <laughs> so they basically run out of options, and they can't find any airfield that would host the jet within 20 minutes of Vegas. And they they know it's somewhere, right, somewhere near Vegas, but they can't find it. And then we switch back to the the the, the hotel. On the strip, and I think this is probably the the scenes that would be most remembered out of the whole film if they were to make this film. Mm-hmm. Much like Octopussy is always memed for Bond dressing up as a clown. Oh God, yeah. Moonraker is obviously Roger in the spacesuit. You know, there are there are some um, moments in the Bond franchise that just stand out as uh, as as um, Outliers, right? Yeah. The the the, the, um, the, the, the thing is that it, it reminded me of Octopussy. So um, yeah, absolutely. But it, the all this cowboy thing was giving off uh, village people uh, right. vibes to me as well. And I, I don't know if it's because it, because of Jennings, but it, it's like yeah. Jesus, what is this? So we should <laughs> explain that there's a rodeo championship, right? At at 
Sir Henry's Hotel, The Golden Sands. Well, and, and I was about to say, Mankiewicz, when he was writing Diamonds Are Forever, flirted not a whole rodeo show, but there was like this guy dressed up as a cowboy who was kind of guarding the outer part of Willard White's property. Uh-huh. And Bond encounters him and overcomes him. But I think he had a las- lasso and was right. doing rope tricks and stuff like that. And this, but this, you know, was totally dropped from the movie. They, you know, they right. didn't follow through with it. But that's that's like the only time I can really recall oh. any kind of a cowboy theme. And in Diamonds, there's the Hoover Dam and the boats, right? Which were cut, but right. we'll, we'll get to that. So, um, much like License to Kill again, Bond spots Connie Webb doing a deal with the baddies, the Vanellis, in their VIP area at the rodeo, much like Bond seeing Pam talking to Hella through the window, right? I mean, it's right. exact, exactly the same. She's even ex-CIA. Um, and Bond can't get to the VIP area because of security. So a la Octopussy, <laughs> he goes into a mobile changing room and gets dressed up as a rodeo cowboy with chaps and hat and yeah. this this reminded me actually of uh, of quantum of solace when when he goes to the opera and he, he has to uh, steal somebody's uh, dinner suit right and, you know it's uh, uh the obviously wearing a, a tuxedo is a, is a bit more bond than a, a cowboy outfit though yeah um it's just it's just imagining dalton wearing chaps and a cowboy hat and a flannel shirt it's um (laughs) (laughs) it's something else so anyway it works bond gets past security he sits next sits next to connie and he goes well howdy (laughs) yeah right yeah um connie gives bond starts questioning her much like license to kill he thinks well she's not on our side after all and uh gets pretty um intense with her and uh and for his efforts he gets slapped and um and she calls over the cow hands um and amusingly uh when when the guards come over uh she tells them that mr baker here thinks you're all homosexual yeah yeah and the I, i've made my note about the village people before this so right. and it, so it, it, it's kind of set up to be like that i think yeah but there's menace and threat but then the context and the and the setting they're in is comedic right yeah and it could have gone one or two different ways if they'd have made this right because although octopus he gets mocked of it's oh it's bond dressed as a clown the scenes are very tense and played straight, right? Whereas this, it could have been a bit slapstick. Yes. Right. It could have been a bit slapstick. So they make Bond ride a bucking bull as his punishment, uh, right? Um, and that's when the Vanellis recognize Bond isn't a cowboy. He's the, quote, towel head from earlier, unquote. Um, and, and he has to escape the bull ring. Um, yeah. Hey, Tony, this cowboy, he looks like that towel head. Tony stares at Bond. It is the towel head. Get Sal up here. And of course, then a mob, of course, Sal is a mob soldier. That's yeah. noted. So Bond escapes the bull ring. Um, and then there's the, 
this 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 is in the stage directions, right? A spaghetti western facer yeah. between Bond and two goons with their holstered weapons, with their hands to the sides, twitching their fingers. Um, and I I wrote my notes, blam blam, smashes the hammer Clint Eastwood style, and blows imaginary smoke from his gun barrel. <laughs> Um, thoughts? <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, um, I, well, I, I don't get the, I, uh, I don't get it. Did did uh, Dalton get a chance to read this script? I would be really curious what his reaction would be reading this scene. Um, to, to me, it's Bond isn't using his ingenuity to escape the situation. Right, which is always a facet of the character that dis- distinguishes itself from other action series, right? Right. Um, and here we are. He's literally in the stage notes, Clint Eastwood. Um, but what, why blow the imaginary smoke from the end of his barrel? <laughs> right. Uh, he's, just, he's just used his gun. Yeah, there should be real smoke there, right? I don't, don't understand that. Yeah, but Bond escapes just be, by shooting, drawing quicker. Right. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Rather than doing something clever. Yeah, but I, I, when I read it, I, I, he blows the imaginary smoke from the end, and then it was like, "Hang on, have I just misunderstood all of this?" And he hasn't actually shot them. I, it, right. it, it's, obviously, you know, if it had been actually filmed, it would be clear. But it's just, uh, yeah. uh, I found it confusing when I read it. So. Yeah. So Bond has to get away, and next to the rodeo. <laughs> Oh uh, mon- monst- monster trucks. Uh, this is horrendous. I hate this scene. It, this is pure Roger Moore. Uh, it's it's a, if this had been filmed, it would have been just the worst thing ever. I think it would have been great. It would so, have not. But- <laughs> <laughs> so Bond steals a monster truck. Of course, the goons that are left steal the other two monster trucks. There's a chase down the Las Vegas Strip. Yeah, which and then there's, there's a drunk on a on, on a sleep on a bench, and they drive straight over this bench. And the the drunks uh, the drunk is is completely undisturbed. Which they're they're missing something there because they could have had him looking at his wine bottle. Right. You you know just going back for a second when Bond outdraws the. The, the two uh, hoodlums, um, you know, in in America, the longest running uh, Western show was Gunsmoke. And for the right. first 13 of the 20 seasons, you know, Matt Dillon is like having a having a draw with a guy. And, you know, but if you actually watch it carefully, Matt Dillon doesn't fire first. He fires, but he just fires better. Right. The other guy actually fires first. You can tell by the sound. And so so it's not that, you know, Matt Dillon is just a fast draw. It's just like when he fires, when he aims, he means to to fire. He doesn't miss. And this parody scene in this script, it's it it misses all that. I mean, if if you're if you're trying to evoke a Western, you know, kind of watch it more carefully i guess it uh it just it, i don't know it's it just seems kind of a again at this point we're in we're in fantasy land yes uh, yeah. <laughs> going from yeah. you know yeah. he's he was actually earlier he was even carrying a saddle uh yes when he approached connie and he drops the saddle on the ground and so we go from bond in a cowboy suit to bond firing guns at, at hoodlums 
Western style are supposed to evoke Western. And now we're in monster trucks. And this is like, what? <laughs> oh. So they, they chase down the strip. Everything gets smashed up. They crash through a casino floor. Yeah. Um, wedding. Of course. There's a wedding. <laughs> so they smash through the love chapel with an Elvis impersonator. They'd never get the rights clearances to do that. Um, the goons have Uzis. Um, Bond shoots their tires out with a revolver. Uh, flips one of the trucks over into a pool. Um, yeah, he didn't know there's a pool down there. Well, um, yeah, you know, like like the boats in the boat chase and live and let die when oh, the yeah. boats goes in the swimming pool. So yeah, it's like it's it's a checkbox, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, Maybaum died in early '91, I believe, so he wasn't available under any circumstances. But you know, if he lived a little longer, I might have been. If I were Cubby, I said, uh, "Dick, um, that thing about." not wanting you to work here anymore um i've changed my mind can you work on this script here <laughs> so ultimately bond makes it out to the hoover dam because uh, uh, he's chasing connie in a car uh and this this is the bit of the script that really need tightening tightening up to me for the for the motivations and whatnot um i'll try and summarize it that connie's pretty pissed that bond caught up with her he kicks him in the face she kicks him in the face empties his gun Bond then kicks her down to the ground, and as they're fighting, they see the hangar in the Hoover Dam open up. And of course, aha, that's where they were hiding the jet. Wow. Uh, all along. Um, somehow the mob had put a hangar inside the Hoover Dam. Um, is it, is it, isn't Hoover Dam public property? It's like, well, it's owned by the US government. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's- <laughs> so just as you think they're about, like, we should team up because, you know, there's always that moment, right? Uh, Connie kicks him in the face again, knocks him out, <laughs> um, leaves him in the desert. And then we cut to a the chicken ranch. Yeah. NSA um, uh, offices disguised as a brothel, disguised as a chicken ranch. Right. Um, and I love the fact that they make Yupland, who's there to meet the NSA, ask for a very specific lady yes. <laughs> and uh he's all embarrassed and stuff as he's asking for what what do they call it in the script what's the phrase they use network of corridors yep one follows the agent i'm looking for oversize that's what it is a very large and voluptuous woman um so it turns out it's the nsa's hideout right uh, yeah in a brothel um in a chicken ranch. In a chicken ranch. <laughs> and uh, the NSA aren't too happy about all this stuff going on and uh, tell Yuplin that he's in deep shit, right? Um, so the NSA goes to pick up Bond. Um, and that's who finds him in the desert. And then uh, Yuplin then interrogates Bond about what he's been up to, um, suspends him, uh, and, and has him packed off to London. On the first flight back. Right. Nobody cares, Bond. You're completely discredited. I want you on the first flight back to London. As of this moment, you're suspended. So it's like, so, so it's not like Yuplin has distinguished himself <laughs> in the sequence, but he's still like giving Bond the business. Yeah. I mean, coming straight off license to kill, there's a lot of overlap and echoes. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. This one's personal. Again, 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> so then we cut to Hong Kong for the third act. And um, the Vanellis have arrived in Hong Kong. Um, we're introduced to a new character, a couple of new characters now in Act 3. So Sir Henry, who's kind of been on the periphery so uh-huh. far in the story, uh, he's got a henchwoman, Susie. Yeah. Um, I, thought, I, thought she was, I thought she was going to turn out to be... Uh, a robot. Uh, yeah. No, no, but... but uh. no. It's a very no. weak character, actually. She's only yeah. in a couple of scenes. Yeah. Um, and we have General Han. And General Han, who arrives on an armored train. And uh, when when do we get to see that again? <laughs> um, so this is the first mention I've seen of an armored train in the script. And, of course, four years later, we'd have Trevelyan with his armored train. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of this stuff carries over. So General Han, who's a very fat man, as described in the script, he's a Chinese general. Um, and he's the one that Sir Henry has been um, smuggling the Stinger missiles to. Um, we get to a very unpleasant sequence here, uh, genuinely unpleasant, where Han goes and gets some of his goons to round up women from the village. And he literally handpicks who he's going to rape and, uh, and then uh, orders the, shoots the grandma and orders the village burned. In terms of side villains in the Bond series is uh, pretty unpleasant. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's going to test the Stinger missiles out and uh, he fumbles one, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, he, yeah. He, he manages to um, accidentally by mistake, I think it says uh, to, to pull the trigger and he blows up the peasants village, which, uh, but that, see, they'd play that for laughs. I'm sure, which uh, isn't really very funny. Right. Um, and then he orders one of his own MiG jets up in the air yeah. so that he can shoot it down Yeah, to, t- to test the new Stinger, the third generation Stinger missile. And uh, also later in the sequence, uh, we've got uh, Tony, one of the mafia goons using some uh, racist language. That's, uh-huh. that's, that's the yeah, we'll, we'll way get to put that. it. We'll get to that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so the, the Stinger is shown to uh, get past all of the MiG's defenses, right? Flak and, and all that other kind of stuff and lasers and things and flares. And then it ultimately shoots down his own MiG to prove it. And it turns out he's got 2,000 of them. Um, yeah. So unlike French Sanchez, who only had two suitcases, mm-hmm. um, Han's going to have 2,000 of these Stinger missiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cut back to LAX, where because um, I guess you can't fly out of Vegas. So they're at LAX. Um, and Jennings is escorting Bond to his flight back to London. And there's a good bit of dialogue here, isn't there, about... I, well, I thought it was a good idea, but the way that it's written is a little bit poor, which is Bond is basically complaining that, like, back in the day, I would just be trusted to do this kind of thing, and I, why do I want to go back and just be a pen pusher for two months before they fire me, and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And he's just basically having a bit of a moan. Yeah. He? Um. Yeah. The young agents these days, they don't know what it takes and the rest of it. And then it turns out that Jennings hasn't booked him on the first flight back to London. He's got him tickets to Hong Kong. Yeah. Which is a nice little ending for the character because, uh, well, we think this is the end we've seen, but he pops it back up later. So everything's going to Hong Kong. And I don't know why or how uh, Jennings uh, would know that because Yupland hasn't said anything about Hong Kong, right? 
No, no. So there's clearly a little bit of structural work to do on this film, yeah, right? yeah. about joining the dots together. But then we get, we get uh, Rodin, and uh, he's got guns on gimbals, and uh, yeah. which is like Nanobot. I think I think yes. it was her that had them in. Oh no, he had them last time. He had them last oh, time too. The, the hip the hip holster gun that was automated. Oh, was that him? I thought it was Nanobot. No, it was him, and uh, then. Sir Henry in the last script took the helmet and used the same gun. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. right. So, Sir Henry's back in Hong Kong. New Year's Eve preparations are kicking off, um, which is a theme all through these scripts. Um, and this sequence here is from the last script, isn't it, David? About uh, trying to take over the business. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that um, that taking over the uh, business. Oh God! Now I've uh. In the last script, they were trying to take. Uh, Sir Henry wanted to buy them out, and on this version, he wants to do them a deal, which they don't accept, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're in they're in the Vanelli's building, and um, Rodin is downstairs taking the security out with his automated targeting and stuff. Because yeah, because you know, I it was I was just, I was just struggling to. Um think where that had come from but uh i concluded in the in the previous script that it had come from um the from the short story for your eyes only um yeah when the um havelocks are uh are threatened by the um the uh, cuban uh heavy and uh right. basically uh, similar situation there they they're told they can buy their house, or if not, they'll, then they'll negotiate with the um, with the heirs. Right. Yeah. So here we get to find out the plot of the film, and the plot of the film is that Henry is going. So Henry is going to take over Hong Kong and run the city state uh, for all the legal side of the business, right? Banking and tech and everything, and he's going to leave all the illegal business to the Vanellis, prostitution, gambling, etc., um, and drugs. Um, but they have to cut him in 50%, which, you know, they laugh at. And um, so Rodin is once again rigged a window washer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that, that, that's that's straight out of the Bond 17 script, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, as Sir Henry uh, uh, leaves the meeting empty-handed, um, the window washer comes down. and uh, as, as I put it here, the window washer death machine. Yeah. Uh, barbecues the Vanelli family <laughs> in, the, in their protected conference room. Um, so that was the first point in this whole script where we've revealed like what Sir Henry's motivations are. Um, it's left to the third act. Mm, yeah, it, it, I, I think that 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 really needs some work. It's uh, I, I don't. I, I think even even by the end of the film, I'm not really sure what what, what they're trying to pull off. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, part of it is because we spend the first two acts with Bond figuratively saying, kids, get off my lawn. Um, Right. Because they kind of wallow in it. It's like, you know, if I were redoing this script, I wouldn't mind keeping that idea in, but I think I would cut it way back. Um, You know, in, in fact, again, it reminds me of Never Say Never Again to the extent that uh, they dwell on it because never say never again dwelt on it. Yeah. Um, 
But again, that was because, you know, you, you'd cast a bond in his fifties and he was right. playing his age. You yeah. know, this is, this is Dalton, you know, this was yeah. intended for Dalton who'd been in his mid forties and, yeah. and, and say this came out in 91 or 92, just, you know, two or three years after license to kill, I think the audience would be kind of nonplus. Like <laughs> when did, when did Dalton get so old? Well, I mean, Craig and Skyfall, same thing, right? So right. we, ju- we yeah. just met the guy, and now he's too old. Um, so we can speed run a lot of this third act because a lot of it, it, it is very similar. So there's a super tanker that arrives in Hong Kong that's got the same lettering as the crates in Vegas and Vancouver. So uh, the team bond kind of figure it out that there's some connections with the Vanellis. Um, they meet Gordon Denholm which is a variation of Denholm Crisp from the previous film. Yeah, uh, previous but film, right? the, the, the curious thing, he, do, he doesn't seem to be Scottish or a drunk. No, but he is a 50-year-old big fat yeah, yeah. guy no, wearing Hawaii yeah, shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but they, they, they must have said, no, he, you can't make him Scottish drunk, but they got away right. with the Scottish and the drunk. Yeah, 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 right. Um, and this is Jack Wade, only a Brit, yeah. right? Jack Wade is a Brit. Um, so he's head of st- Section H. Um, they have a briefing, and it, it turns out that the Nanking Shipping Company is ran by Sir Henry, surprise, surprise, of an old Scottish family. Uh, they've been running it for 200 years. He has a private island off the Kowloon coast, and he's got a billion-pound electronics empire, weapons empire. Um, that's all kind of the same. Um, a big transport plane arrives, and it's got the DB5 and Q in it. Um, Q's bringing the DB5 out for one last mission. I did. I did chuckle at Q swigs from a hip flask under stress. <laughs> <laughs> I I never pictured Q drinking, um, but here he does. Uh, and then we get wedged in uh, Mi Wei from the previous treatment uh, is back in this. Uh, but we meet her very late in the story. Yeah, she's been- and she, she's just in it for this joke name isn't she so yeah she's there to link him to the chinese army right so uh bond gets photographed again when he checks in at the hotel from a wedding photographer who uploads it to this mysterious figure called quen lo which is the same setup as the previous treatment um which is tipping the chinese army off that bond's in town right um so bond ditches his boat swims ashore in a wetsuit um and infiltrates sir henry's house um, we think, oh, this is the end of the movie, right? This is the finale. Um, no, but it's not. We get um, we get a, a fencing match. Yeah, but I did want to touch on yeah. that. <clears throat> Bond is uh, infiltrating the building, and he sees Connie with Sir Henry, right? And Sir Henry basically forces her to strip in front of him against her will, and that. I don't know if it pisses Bond off, but it, for, it, it he makes mistakes, right? And he ends up tripping the alarm. Um, yes. And that's how he gets caught. Because uh, cl- this is clearly just set up to show that he has feelings for her, even though the last two times he's seen her, she's tried to kill him and kick him in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so Bond's obviously protective of her, and he gets caught, and that's when we have the sword fight, or the fencing fight. Yeah, so it's... Yeah, it, it's clearly, clearly you uh, reused in in Die Another Day. It's it's and and Sir so, so Henry is is Gustav Graves anyway. So, 
but he, yeah. he was he, he was in the previous in the previous script as well, wasn't he? Well, it's yeah. Elliot Carver slash Gustav Graves, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But the sword fight—I mean, almost beat for beat. Some of the action is identical in Dino of the Day. Yeah. Uh, to it, and the deal is that if Bond can beat him, then he wins his freedom because Bond convinces Sir Henry that he's an art thief. And strangely, he asked Connie to take Bond back to the mainland. I mean, Henry doesn't trust Connie. He doesn't necessarily believe Bond's an art thief, so I don't know what he's playing at, letting both of them go, effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need them both to go uh, so that we can get to the climax of the movie, I guess. So um, Connie reveals that she's an agent all along, and she knew that Bond was 007 the whole time. Um even when she was kicking him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> and Bond's basically like, okay, well, fuck it, then I'm going home. And he's, he gives up, right, at this point. Or he pretends to give up. And it's not clear quite what he's doing. And Connie ends up apologizing to him and, and explains that, because Bond's moaning about like how nothing's going right and all the rest of it. Um, but Connie explains that it's taken her 18 months to get to this point where it took Bond a couple of days. Um, and makes him feel better about himself that he's actually not old and useless. So there's another big, you know, so they obviously have some more uncomplicated sex um, on the hood of his DB5. Um, more tankers yeah. arrive, more missiles, more tanks arrive. Bonnie and Connie, Bond and Connie spent, see more ships. Uh, so basically, Sir Henry's importing weapons into Hong Kong ready for a coup. Um, and they suspect that he's hiding the jet in his tower, which I think is a bit of a stretch. Yeah, I, I had difficulty visualizing this. Uh, I only could think, think of it as like the Harrier jump jet yeah, in the living daylights leaving the roof of the observatoire. I mean, it, it's a stealth, stealth plane, but there's no mention of it um, being vertical takeoff, is there? No, there's not, but I'm assuming that it would have to be, right? Yeah. Yeah, so the only place in Hong Kong that could possibly have it is in the penthouse of his tower. Yeah, so then we get the big reveal. Well, not the big reveal. Um, the big, the big double uh, cross, right? Because Henry calls Yupland on the phone in Station H because Sir Henry is a knight of the British Empire and all the rest of it. And much like the setup with Tomorrow Never Dies and whatnot, it's like you can't go after him because he's too important. Mm-hmm. Um, Yupland straight out reveals that Bond is an agent. Yeah, thanks, Yupland. And um, so then uh, Henry orders Rodin to go after Bond, and um, we get the exact same car chase, pretty much, right? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very, yeah, very, very similar. Yeah. Um, I did like the fact that. Q had modified the DB5, but didn't have time to tell Bond what he'd done. Yes, that, but that, that's exactly the same as Spectre, isn't it? When he, he, right. he doesn't know what, where the gadgets are. So he hits like random buttons, yeah. like air, air de- dehumidifier and stuff, yeah. and then yeah. random things happen, like mines fall out the back of the car and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, the mines, the mines is from the, the, um, the car chase in No Time to Die as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, all all this is is reused. There's something just I want to I want to jump back to slightly. It's just um, 
And Bond says, what happened to all those girls I used to meet, the ones who look great, but let me say the smart lines, Connie smiles, like the dinosaurs, James, they just died out. Uh, that's kind yeah. of an echo of Goldeneye and the, the reference to, you know, Bond being a, uh, being a dinosaur and, and uh, I, I think so, you know, that even, even that is reused. Well, and, and um, Bruce Fairstein came up with a line, first for Tomorrow Never Dies, didn't make that. Then he right. tried to put it in The World Is Not Enough, didn't make that, although they it was filmed. It. They shot it, but they, yeah, they didn't. They, but they cut it out, which was, which was Judy Dench M. commenting about big-breasted women in uh, uh, volcano lairs. I forgot the exact line, but it yeah. evokes both. And, and Bond said, well, you'd be surprised or something right. like that. But that, but that though, as, as constructed by Fairstein, you know, it's like M starts out with a dig, but Bond comes, comes back at a one-liner. And again, doesn't make the movie, but uh, I, had it been used, it, you know. I did, I, I highlighted three quotes from this film, David, and that was one of them, was what happened to all those girls I used to meet. I thought it was great. Yeah. And Fierstein got credit for a lot of things into the Tomorrow Never Dies script, which, as we discussed in the last episode, how much of it was done by these other guys originally. Yeah. And there are things in here which, like the, the hollowed-out volcanoes, big-breasted women, what happened to those, it's a more vulgar version of this line. Yeah. Effectively. Yeah. yeah. Um, which was great. All uh, right, wait, wait, wait. So there's the car chase. Bond uses the ejector seat. Um, the car's go off the cliff. Rodin dies, right? It's the same as the previous. Yeah. Uh, film. Although Rodin's in the car this time, whereas before it was remote control. Yeah. Rodin's exactly in the car. And, and Bond doesn't end up in the water like he did previously, I think. No, but he's still on the beach, right? Yeah. And Mi Wei, who we've met for two minutes, uh, pops up as the Chinese agent with a helicopter who takes him off to see Quen Lo at the army camp um, because they're right on the border of the mainland. Um, which is the same as the previous script. Um, Connie, Q, and Denham start the infiltration of the tower without Bond because they don't know where he is. Um, this is the point where General Han starts assaulting the army base with his tanks that Henry's brought in. <laughs> Bear with us. Um, Yupland was told to order the, the troops, in, but he doesn't. So is it Jennings? Oh, it's Denham that does, right? So he orders the Gurkhas, who are stationed in Hong Kong, to go and take the tower against the wishes of the defense minister. Mm. Um, Connie's riding an elevator to the top of the penthouse and thinks she's going to get crushed at the top, which is the same as Mission Impossible 1 mm. um, uh, later. Um, I say it's the same as Mission Impossible 1 is the same as this script because this predates it, obviously. Um, and they discover that, yes, the jet is in the hangar in the penthouse of the building. Um, and just to up the stakes, if you thought we couldn't get any more, uh, turns out they have a nuclear weapon. Mm-hmm. And which but- ca- catches everybody off guard. Um, I'm going to speed through this because it's the same as the last script, which is Quenlo interrogates Bond. He thinks it's a British and American plot to overthrow Hong Kong and China with a stealth jet. So he orders a one-hour countdown to launch submarine missiles against London and Washington unless they can stop it. Um, so he sends Bond and Mi Wei back to Hong Kong uh, in a Cessna. Um, this struck me as so out of character. Um, there's no time to land the Cessna anywhere because there's no landing strip, obviously, in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. So um, Bond has to get out on the wing of the Cessna. Yeah. 
and jump into a hotel rooftop pool. This was great. I loved this. This this really worked for me. I I I was uh, first first of all I was thinking nah, but then afterwards I was thinking yeah this would have been fantastic to have on on the big screen. Yeah, I think this would have worked. So um, yeah, gonna... Bond twenty six. I want to see this. Here we go. Okay, denim. He can't seriously be considering actually jumping. Looks at Q Q. Oh yes, the Americans call it macho bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bond stands on the wing brace as the tower races towards him. It looks completely impossible. Bond sizing up the jump. I'm really not getting a good feeling about this. <laughs> Denim, Denim and Q both watched open and slack-mouthed as Bond leaps from the speeding plane, arcs through the sky, and finally explodes into the middle of the pool. Explode meaning big you know, wave, obviously. Um, angle as Bond and Q and Denim pull him out of the water. Bond, did you see that? Did you see what I just uh, did? <laughs> and Bond says, I jumped out of a speeding plane into a pool this size, holding up two pinched fingers. Can you believe that? Um, and Q just says, come on, we've got work to do. So I, 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 it smacked me a little bit of Roger Moore and Moonraker where he says, oh, yeah, I just fell out of a plane with that parachute kind of thing to Money Penny." But here he was actually pumped about the fact that he did something he didn't think he could do um, at his age. And, uh, well, and, and again, you get that in some ways, this is almost like an anti-James Bond because right. the example you just cited with Moonrake, oh, I fell out of plane while the parachute. He says it very nonchalantly and, you know, Money Penny laughs thinking he's joking. Whereupon this, like, see what I did? See what I did? You know, it's like, Bond, calm down. <laughs> well, normally nobody sees none of his friends see him do these things, do they? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so they have a zip line up to the tower from the rooftop. Uh, Bond zips up there, shoots out the window, knocks out the guard, steals his uniform. Um, the rooftop launch bay opens. Susie, who's been in two scenes, um, fights Connie and is told to take her downstairs and shoot her. Right? Because um, Sir Henry's realised that Connie's double crossing him. <laughs> Denim Crisp has activated the Gurkhas and they're starting to storm the building, but it's a war zone downstairs because of all the defenses and everything. Um, and like Tomorrow Never Dies, pre-title sequence, Bond uh, smashes the pilot's head in and um, steals the jet. Yeah. But, I, you know, I, I thought that where we were heading with the jet was going to be like the, the end of die another day i i thought it wasn't going to be just bond on that it was going to be a whole you know there, there, there were going to be uh, numerous characters and the, the whole end of the, the film would take place on it but uh uh i was wrong yeah so it's just bond on his own in the jet and uh so he's on the radio with quen lo in china um saying he intends to land it in Kowloon to prove that it was a coup by sir henry um and so the subs uh stood down with about a minute left to go um, the troops are still working their way upside the tower. So it's two movies happening at the same time, basically. Um, Connie breaks free of her guards, but Henry catches her. Um, and then he starts laughing and he switches the jet to autopilot. <laughs> and in previous scripts, it was all about remote control, right? And, uh, yeah. And here it just comes out of nowhere that he's got the technology to remote control the jet. And 
had they kept the car as remote control earlier instead of Rodin driving it, it would have, I think, worked better uh-huh. on here. And so the, the jet is um, switched to autopilot to go drop the nuke in China. So the subs are rearmed. Uh, Bond enters Chinese airspace. Uh, 60 seconds to go. The only thing he can think to do and have control over is to dump all the fuel out the plane, um, which causes the computer to switch to a secondary target. It's out of range. It disengages the stealth. That calls the subs off with one second to go. The troops are making it up the tower. And um, so Bond's in control of the, what's left of the gas tank in the plane, just as Sir Henry is trying to zip line it out of the building. Um, and that's where Bond flies and impales him on the nose of the jet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, his line is touche. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, and then Bond crash lands. Again, I mean, Echoes of Tomorrow Never Dies here. He, he crash lands the plane into the front of Government House um, in downtown Hong Kong while, whilst Yopland is on the phone to the Prime Minister. Yeah. As you do. Uh, and I love this line. Bond says, good morning, sir. The good news is I found your plane. <laughs> and um, Yopland sees that Henry's dead on the front of the plane. And he goes, you spotted the bad news then. <laughs> <laughs> So Yupland tries to fire Bond, and then you know Bond just goes and punches him out. Uh, team Bond embrace. Um, Q's all happy too, uh, and then they realise that Bond doesn't disarm the nuke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so whilst Bond is walking out, dusting his suit off or whatever, uh, Q and Denham and and Connie rush back into the building to disarm the nuke. Um, and then we cut to Vancouver. I'm assuming it's Vancouver. It doesn't say, but it's the same kayaking place again. Oh, yeah, of course. And um, and Connie's ribbing Bond that if it wasn't for her and Q, the bomb would have gone off anyway. Um, and so Bond's sulking at this point again. And this is the very weird ending, isn't it, that comes up here? Because um, Bond is reminiscing on he his past missions. Yes, because, uh, I mean, he, he, he mentions various uh, characters yeah. from v- various other f- films, and uh, yeah. so anybody who still believes in the code name theory um, should, right. should read this because so I've got them. I've got them here. He <clears> says, <throat> uh, so he's telling Connie, who's and the stage directions are somewhat vague, but I think she's basically pulling him off under his uh, sleeping bag uh, when they're talking about this. Uh, did I ever tell you about the time Blofeld dumped me in a pool of sharks? Yeah. <laughs> now I was trying to think when was that because it was Largo that pu- pushed him in a pool yeah. of sharks. Yeah. Well, right? B- Bond's memory is not what it used to be. Okay. <laughs> and then, and then, and then Bond says, and then there was the time of this chap called Odd Job, and I was always underestimating him. <laughs> and, you know, and Goldfinger made me look like a complete idiot. Well, well. Also, <laughs> speaking of Goldfinger, that business with Bond forgets to uh, disarm the nuke. And Q and the others right. have to rush in there. That reminds me of of Goldfinger of Goldfinger with the yeah. with the bomb in Fort Knox. Where now in that case, Bond was trying but didn't really know how, and that one guy comes in and just flips a switch and, right. just, and stops it. But and again, it's a joke, kind of at Bond's expense, um, but not as much as this. You know? Yeah, I don't know. It's so it's, Connie's Connie's trying to make him feel better. Uh, and she says, you think I'm difficult? Bond says, very difficult. Connie's like, and you like that? And Bond says, I like that a lot. And that, that's the end of the movie. 
it it really stuck out as weird to me. Third, fourth wall almost to be for Bond to be talking about underestimating our job and Goldfinger making him look like an idiot and stuff. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't it, think that would have made yeah. it. This didn't happen to the other fella. Right, exactly. Um, so a couple of notes I made. We talked about the trunk release, the towel heads. Oh, we didn't mention the. We didn't talk about the the one standout terribly racist line uh yes and uh, not kids we're not going to repeat it you got kids listening you might want to skip a minute but basically uh when the vanellis are negotiating with sir henry um and they're turning down his offer um i'll pull up the line here and i will censor it the the Um, n-word is mentioned and so is a slur against chinese i think i was yes Neither of which you would hear today. No. So the Vin- Tony the Vanelli tells Henry, "I trust the N words more than the C words." Um, C word being a derogatory term for Chinese, um, and it was so out of place. Yeah. No. Exactly. It it, it just kind of leaps out at the page. Yeah. I just wonder if the screenwriters put it in there to check if somebody was reading it, like when they get the script notes back. Um, like, well. This- well, once upon a time, you could put those words in. Uh, like I saw, it was Dragnet when it was revived in the '60s, and it started with a TV movie, and the N word is mentioned. Now it's mentioned by a really vile guy, and he's saying it to a a police uh, detective that is that Jack Webb is helping, which then gives Webb a chance to do a big speech at the guy. You you know. And then um, in the early 70s, Hawaii Five-O had an episode, again, a vile character, gangster. He used the C word used here, and he used a couple others, <laughs> to which you know Jack Lord comes yeah. out from his desk and says, that's Japanese, Chinese, and Korean. You know, you know, McGarrett asserting his moral authority. But yeah, you could hear words like that on American television at one time. I'm trying to think of 91, though, and I don't think... No, I, I think it was probably... In, things were changing by 91. I'm just, I'm just saying 20 and 30 years earlier, well, you could hear there's, it. There's the, the Hollywood engine in 91, and then you've got to put a layer on top of that, which is the Bond franchise. Right. Um, I, I just can't imagine them ever having contemplated doing anything like this. No, I, I don't think they would have. It's literally like the writers didn't understand the brief, I think, yeah. um, to some degree. Well, I, I, it's I, – and I don't know I mean, if – They I'm were going, coming off License to Kill. I mean, don't get me wrong, right? Uh, and if they thought that was the direction they wanted to continue. Yeah, but it, it's also – you know, it's also a, a question about getting your ideas down on paper, isn't it, and developing them because it's – and it's, it is curious to, to read these scripts because, you know, this is a clear development of, of the Bond 17 script but uh it is it's very very different in many places but uh you know you can see the the some of the core elements uh are exactly the same and some of the scenes are exactly the same the other um there's 23 shits yeah there's a few few f-bombs as well yeah and and as part of the shits there's like does bond use the bird shithead I think he might. I think, um, he, I think he, yeah, I think he does. 
Um, yeah. Well, what do we think? How do we think this compares to the previous script? Is it better? Is it? Well, I know different? you're gonna hate. I know you're gonna hate me, guys, but um, I can't see Timothy Dalton doing it. But I think this is the best unmade script. Yeah, I, 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 I think this is the best one as well. I think it's an improvement on the previous one. I think it kind of falls into its own trap, though, of, of going overboard on the Bond, oh, woe is me stuff. But that could have, that could have been fixed pretty easily, I think. You know, and just dial it back some. You, could, you don't have to abandon it. But, I, uh, I think there's three films squeezed into one here. We've got Skyfall, right, with the arc of Bond being too old for this shit. Yeah. And having redemption. Um, there's Tomorrow Never Dies, <laughs> because that's ultimately what the bulk of this would become anyway. Yeah. Right. And you've got Spectre. Yeah. With, you know, MI6 being shut down and Yupland and all that other kind of stuff. So this this script basically birthed three movies, right? All the themes of three movies out of it. Um, and that's not to say the whole second act in Vegas has never really been touched or used. Um, so there's a lot in here. Um, I, I think you could also say that never say never again is sort of like a godfather to this. Yes. Not that they would ever admit it. But. Yeah. And as you said, David, the, the diamond script uh, book, sorry, there's definitely influences there, right? With yeah. the, the Vanellis and the Spangs and whatnot. Yeah. But um, I think there's another, there's another uh, Diamonds Are Forever influence actually on the on the attack on the on the tower at the end. There's yes. um, the sculpture. You know, the sculptures open up to reveal machine gun nests, and uh, that just reminds me of the oil rig at, at, at right. the end of Diamonds Are Forever. It, it just, uh, uh, I was reading it, and it's like, yeah, I've seen this. I've seen this before. It, it wasn't in Hong right. Kong. It was in the middle of the sea, but it, it's very, very similar. Yeah. The thing that struck me after reading it was, um, remember when, Di- when Goldeneye was going into production and, tomorrow- and True Lies came out? Yes, mm-hmm. and the story, the, the the thread was that they had to re redo the plan for Goldeneye because of True Lies. Okay, there was things in True Lies which they were going to do which they couldn't because True Lies did it, and it's the Harrier jump jet with the tower. Oh yeah, and for years I never knew what bit of True Lies they were talking about because they never said. But it's the third act of this film is True Lies. True Lies, I mean, I'm sure had no visibility to the script and they came up with their own ideas and all the rest of it. Sure. Um, but it, it's very close yeah. to it. And I can see why they thought, oh, shit, we can't do that now. So that's why we've never seen it. I mean, they used a little bit of it for the pre-titles of Tomorrow Never Dies instead, right? But um, stealing the jet and delivering the bomb, right? Where would you like your bomb, sir? Kind of thing, right? Um, yeah. But I think that's what it was that... So were they were they going to push ahead with this then, if they had to abort it because of True Lies? Was was this the actual plan for Goldeneye um, at some point? The movie that would become Goldeneye. That's what yep. I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I, I think that's uh, it, it quite uh, that's uh, makes makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Well, also um, trying to remember now, what was it? Sir Henry was going to make a Connie strip for yep. his enjoyment. Yeah. And of course, in True Lies, you have that 
scene where uh, Jamie Lee Curtis strips in front of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, I don't know if, if I, I, James, I think what you just said, I think is probably more to the point and probably a stronger possibility why they felt the need to change. But that, but as you know, that description did, that thought popped up in my yeah. head of that, that one scene in true lies. The, the as villain well. getting impaled on the jet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. Delivery, and delivering the bombs back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, actually, I, 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 there's a couple of Dick Tracy villains got impaled <laughs> uh, way back in the day, but right. they weren't on jets. So, so I, I'm going to give this a, a B plus um, for a Bond script. Um, there's, there's some there's some jumps of logic, leaps of logic, which don't make sense, as we mentioned throughout <clears throat> about how how do people know where to go, but they could easily be fixed, right? Yeah, um, yeah, no, yeah. I, I I agree that this is this is this is much more polished than the previous script, and that this this I can see going into production. Yeah. So how would you rate it, David, on the scale? Um, what, do I do I have to grade it? Uh, yeah. Like, I, I'll, I'll just say a yes. Out, okay. out, of, out, of, out of all the unmade scripts we've, we have read, this is easily the, the best one. It, it's, I, I, I enjoyed reading it much more than the others. Even though Bond was a cowboy riding a monster truck down the strip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the other, the, all the other scripts had um, yeah. moments which were far worse than this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll give it. I'll give it a B, uh, but I think it could be turned into an A with some work. Because, like I said, I think they needed to kind of wind back the "woe is me" stuff. You know, you know, leave some of that in. Yeah, um, make it more subtle, right? Just yeah, yeah. Because the way it it kind of hammers you on the head. Um, I'll give you an example that Bond could be seen stretching and like rubbing his back versus saying, "I'm too old for this shit." Right, right. Like, yeah. they could have made it more yeah. subtle. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, here, here's an example. Not a spy movie at all. Uh, from the late seventies, uh, Burt Reynolds movie called Hooper. He was playing a stuntman. He's right. a veteran stuntman, but he's starting to get old. And like, you know, he he wakes up in the middle of the night. And he stands in front of his mirror and he's like, you know, making a muscle. And then he kind of grabs his sides. You know, they're they're kind of soft. He knows he's, you know, this is before they set up. The, the main plot where he's got a condition that if he suffers an accident, he could get paralyzed, you know, but this is just, this is how they sort of build up to that. Right. And, and I mean, I like Hooper a lot and I think that was, it, it's my favorite Burt Reynolds movie, put it like that. And, and I think they did a, a relatively subtle job, more subtle than this in, in setting all that up. But, right. you know, it, with some work though, I think this, Put it this way, with Bond 17, I think trying to, you know, I, I just think like the nanobot was just, <laughs> it's just right. the deal killer. And uh, I, I think this, like I say, I get personally give it a B, but it could be turned into an A with, with some more work, I think. Yeah. Well, I thoroughly enjoy it. Um, and yeah, it's, to me, it was just hard, hard to see Dalton play it. Uh, visually in my mind, it, as you say, David, there's a lot of Roger in here. Yeah, uh, a lot of raised uh, eyebrow moments. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. with um, that business at the end where he's making all those references to these past characters, um, you know, they did it a bit in From Russia with Love, referencing Doctor No, but it was just you know, yeah, the second movie um, in Live and Let Die. At one point, Mankiewicz 
in his script when he's making introductions between right. Rosie and uh, um, Coral Jr. actually does say, you know, his father helped me take down a doctor named No, or words to right. that effect. Uh, but, you know, that didn't make the movie. It's it's something they, they've been hesitant to do. I mean, they've done it on occasion. Uh, you know, The Spy Who Loved Me was like the first time they ever referenced Tracy since on yep. Her Secret Service, at least overtly. Uh, and then, of course, for your, uh, with For Your Eyes Only in the graveyard scene as well. But they just don't do it that often or haven't done it that often, at least until the Craig movies. And right. th- th- then they hammered us over the head with it. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, Cowboy Bond, who'd have thought it, right? Um, fantastic. And um, maybe people could write into our contact at jamesbondandfriends.com and come up with a title for this movie. What would it have been called? Because <laughs> there's nothing... There's nothing in the script at all to suggest what it would have been called. So we're open to suggestions. Send us your best ones. We'll do a recap. And with that, I'd like to thank you, David and Bill, for joining us. And we'll see you again next time. Thank you, James. Great talking. Take care. Thanks for inviting me.